Welcome to The Mend, a podcast to learn about services and support for victims and survivors of crime, sponsored through the Center for Crime Victim Services here in Vermont. I am Anna Nassett, and I am the host of this bi-monthly podcast and show. Today on the show, we have Allison Jones Lockwood from End Violence Against Women International to talk about the Start By Believing campaign. This show was created to take a deeper look at services, organizations, and concept for victims and survivors of crime. We want to acknowledge the healing process and provide resources, not only in our state of Vermont, but throughout the country that could benefit victims of crime as they begin to mend and those who work with them. And today we're going to be looking at community response. This is a show where we can all learn, and myself included, and I'm so excited to have Allison here. As always, I want to begin with a trigger warning. Our goal is to create a safe place to discuss topics of healing. But with that in mind, we may occasionally hear stories related to crime, discuss our mental health, or have sensitive subject matter. We urge you to care for yourself and listen at your own discretion. Today's episode, we are going to be talking about the Start By Believing campaign, which celebrates its 11th anniversary on April 6th. And I'm very excited to share this campaign with you and urge you to bring it to your own community. Joining me to discuss the campaign is Allison Jones Lockwood. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Yes. So a little bit about Allison. Allison is a nationally recognized for expertise in designing community-specific collaborative protocols to address sexual violence. With 20 years experience managing and assistance, assisting victim advocacy programs, Ms. Jones Lockwood has trained extensively on the criminal justice response to sexual assault, including the impact of sexual assault in the aftermath. She has trained countless advocates, law enforcement personnel, healthcare professionals, in legal in local, regional, and statewide and national trainings. She eloquently describes the role of the advocate within the criminal justice system, within the criminal justice process, clearly explaining the benefits of victim advocates and how criminal justice professionals and advocates can best work together. Ms. Jones Lockwood offers a str- strategies for collaboration and conflict resolution within professional relationships. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. Yes, and I should mention that Alice and I serve as a board of directors with End Violence Against Women International, and so we've gotten to do some work together over the last years. I'm really excited. Um, You've interviewed me before. I'm excited to interview you. (laughs) The tables are turning. (laughs) Yes. So to start off with, can you share a bit about your background and how you began working with victims and survivors and creating these community responses? Sure. So... I really first started to get engaged in this type of work when I was in college. I was a sexual health peer educator and we became connected as educators with the Women's Center on campus. And so then I started talking with some of the Women's Center educators and we were collaborating and really trying to figure out how we could do outreach and education together. And then I graduated from college and I moved from um, the Midwest to San Diego, and my very first job was with the United States Navy, and I was back then a sexual assault victim intervention specialist, and this position was dedicated to doing uh, awareness presentations across the military and Marine Corps, but also overseeing the advocate program. So in that first position, I got to go aboard ship and shore commands and give presentations. I actually got to go to sea for a week and sail from San Diego to Hawaii and do awareness presentations along the way. And of course, I oversaw the advocacy program. So that's really how I got started uh, now over 20 years ago. 
Amazing. That's very cool. I've done a lot of work with the Army, but getting to sail for a week sounds pretty awesome, too. And just pretty intense. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> and incredibly important work. Um, so how did you come to be with End Violence Against Women International? Uh, well, I actually met uh, Joanne Archambault, our CEO, when I first was working with the Navy. Uh, I was very new, very green, and she called my office asking for a display that she had been using for the last few years at the very first uh, EVOL conferences. Of course, at the time, I knew nothing about what she was talking about, <laughs> but that really was my first introduction to Joanne and Eva. And um, within months, we were sitting across the sexual assault response team table from each other. I attended her retirement party. And then uh, along the way, I left San Diego and went back to the Midwest. And the Rape Crisis Center that I was working with in Kansas City, Missouri, was one of the Making a Difference communities. And that was a project by EVA to better understand rates of prosecution and reporting in eight different communities. And I was uh, an active participant in that project and got to know Joanne better. And things kind of evolved. I was speaking at conferences and then uh, my family moved back to California and I reached out to her and I said, hey, do you, do you have any projects that I could help with? And that relationship really became formal uh, 11 years ago. Amazing. That's so cool that you were able to stay in touch and just have that connection when you went out there. Um, yeah. For our listeners who aren't familiar with End Violence Against Women, also known as EVAL, can you share about the organization and what they do? End Violence Against Women International is a professional training organization. Our mission is focused on improving the criminal justice response to gender-based violence. And we do that in a variety of ways. I mentioned our conference. We do have an annual conference this year. Uh, it'll take place in April, uh, the 18th through, actually the 19th through the 21st. And it's a hybrid conference this year. We will be in person or virtual, whatever your preference is, you can attend either way. But generally speaking in non-COVID years, our conference brings together about 2,200 professionals from across the country, and there are some international participants. And it's really a three-day opportunity to network and to get re-energized about this work. Now, some of the other training programs that we offer include the Online Training Institute, which has 19 different training modules, again, dedicated to improving the response to gender-based violence. We also have webinars that are available. We release training bulletins. We have a very, very, very extensive website that has just about every resource in the field that you could possibly imagine. Absolutely. It's a great website, a great resource. And um, yeah, I know I just helped look through the, the new um, forensic nurse exam module the other day and just, you know, trauma-informed um, interviewing, just so many different things that they are providing training on. And it's really, it's really incredible work. Um, which brings us to part of that is the Start By Believing campaign. Um, can you tell me about the campaign, uh, what it is and how it got started? So Start By Believing is our public awareness campaign. And it's really focused on changing the way we respond to disclosures of sexual assault. Rather than responding with doubt or blame, Start By Believing encourages everyone to, to respond with support 
empathy and belief. And start by believing um, the concept came to Joanne, again, who's our CEO, many, many years before we officially launched the campaign in 2011. It actually came to her when she was a detective in the child abuse unit. And she was recognizing these children who were being abused and they were not being believed uh, by their parents, by the very law enforcement officers who were investigating these cases. And then she became a sergeant in the sex crimes unit and the problem became even more prevalent. Um, many of the survivors that reported were not believed when they initially disclosed. So Start By Believing had been a concept for many years. And then we launched the campaign in 2011. And Start By Believing really is, I'm gonna say it's a community camp, but it's much more than a campaign. It's a community campaign in the sense that every community launches the campaign differently. They focus their energy and activities in different ways. Some communities might focus on social media specifically. Other communities might have marketing budgets where they have billboards and bus toppers and cab toppers and bus signs. So it really is unique to each individual community, but Start By Believing is more than a campaign. It is a philosophy that we as loved ones, as professionals should integrate into our daily practice. Now, I wanna mention one other thing that is really important about Start By Believing. It's not just for criminal justice professionals. So it's not just for those of us engaged in this type of work. Start by believing is just as critical for friends and family members and loved ones, teachers, coaches, anyone that that survivor could disclose to. We know that on average, a survivor will tell two to three people before they ever make a report to the police department. And if that initial response to their disclosure is negative, they are much less likely to reach out for help in the future. So we wanna make sure that whomever that survivor discloses to in the beginning, that person is prepared to provide support and empathy. Absolutely. Um, I mean, just speaking for myself, I know that what a difference in my life it made when I was believed by, you know, obviously I didn't go to the cops first off. And but when I started to, you know, tell the people around me what was going on, how different it was to have that believability and that didn't come from everyone um and that gave me the courage to go to the police and when i went to the police they believed me and on and on and on and i firmly believe that because of that that saved my life and it was interesting that you said this started in 2011 which is when my whole situation started as well and you know just to see that just to know firsthand deeply in my core what a difference that makes is really huge and um, yeah, I mean, you kind of answered my question of who can take the Start By Believing pledge. Everyone can. Anybody that <laughs> walks or rolls this earth can take that pledge and should um, and really, you know, learn about it because it's so important and changes how we navigate within our society and communities. Um, like what training is there around the Start By Believing campaign? So if somebody takes this pledge like and they want to learn more what other resources and training do you have? Excellent question. So we have worked really, really hard to make training and resources accessible to anyone who's interested in Start By Believing. So every single thing that we have created in terms of Start By Believing is available free on our website. 
So if you go to startbybelieving.org, you can click on the resources page. And if you scroll down, the very first items you'll see on the top left are training programs. So there's a variety of things here. First, there is um, a, a video dedicated to why we do what we do at, at End Violence Against Women International. Then we have a dedicated Start by Believing video that really provides an excellent introduction to why we need the campaign, what the campaign is all about. And then we have a webinar called Start by Believing as a Tool for Prevention. This is a session that I actually presented at our conference in 2021, but we decided to make it available for free to anyone to better understand how Start by Believing can be used for prevention. And then we have several training bulletins that I love to give out as resources to kind of help folks understand the rationale behind the campaign. Um, one of the most common ones that I give out is, is it appropriate for criminal justice professionals to start by believing? That training bulletin has been so helpful to help law enforcement prosecutors better understand how they can start by believing and how it does not negatively impact their cases. It only has the potential to positively impact their cases. So there's several other training bulletins that are available. All of those are again, free of charge. And then of course we have a number of other different resources on the website, tools for social media, social media toolkit. We have posters, infographics, you name it. We probably have it available. Awesome, and you really do. I mean, it's so great to be able to go on there I know that you've sent me stuff that I take out when I speak before, um, just to be able to go on there and learn how to speak about this campaign so that I can bring that language in. It's just really, it's really important. And it's something that I share often with, uh, you know, people who aren't in this field as well, so that they can learn. Um, what types of events have you seen communities and organizations do that have been, you know, effective or just like what are creative ones, things of that nature? So this is probably one of my favorite aspects of Start by Believing. And as the community liaison, number one, I get to interact with communities. Uh, we just had a Start by Believing planning meeting today where we had a special guest host from St. Louis. And she shared with us how they turned St. Louis teal in 2021. Uh, they decided they wanted to create public awareness. So they hosted an outdoor event that took place at Union Station, uh, which is also where their large Ferris wheel is, that they were turning teal for Start by Believing Day. But it wasn't just the Ferris wheel that turned teal. The civic building, libraries, healthcare facilities, a lot of um, local government buildings uh, signed on to turn teal for the month, which created media coverage, which again created more conversation. So that's one aspect of St. Louis. Now, now, another aspect I'll give you is in Denver. Denver is one of those communities that previously um, has done a lot of marketing around it. So they typically have a billboard, they have cab toppers, they have signs on the buses and also in the bus shelters. They usually hold a press conference to announce Start by Believing. They have connected with the um, football stadium and where the the basketball arena, and they have also turned those buildings teal, their city and county building turns teal, um, and they do quite a bit of social media. So they, they, they do a lot of marketing associated with their campaign. 
Um, but I want to also talk about some of the smaller campaigns that also have great initiatives. Um, the University of South Alabama, for example, they launched their campaign in 2020 right in the thick of COVID and their campaign was exclusively on social media. So they posted frequently throughout the month. They used the hashtag start by believing. They created graphics and videos really to again, create that awareness. And that's the great thing about social media is it allows us to expand our message. You know, mm -hmm. back in the old days when I was doing awareness education, I was really limited to an audience of the people that were in the same room with me. But when we have media coverage or we use social media or we have podcasts such as this, we, our audience grows exponentially and we can get our mass message out much, much further than we were ever able to before. Absolutely. And yeah, once again, go to their website because it really, there is, you know, something for everyone and, you know, living here in a village um, where we don't even have a traffic light, <laughs> we're probably not going to be lighting up buildings. Maybe we can, you know, hang some flags off the covered bridge. Um, <laughs> but actually here in Vermont, we do have something I'm cooking up with um, the Vermont Network for Domestic and Sexual Violence and with the House and Senate here. And I wish I had all the details for you today. I thought I was going to, but I do not. So stay tuned though. Um, but I'm really excited to be, you know, just be creative within my own area and community and um, see how we can engage and get people really talking about these things. It's exciting. Well, I want to mention one other community because you, you made a good point of, you know, in, in maybe smaller areas, you might not be able to turn buildings teal, but there was a community I, I'm, I cannot remember the exact location, but I want to say it was in Tennessee and I'm, I'm very possibly I'm wrong, but they created yard signs and they put the yard signs all around town, uh, which I thought was a great way to spread awareness. So it had start by believing uh, the QR code, you could scan it, you could take the pledge, you know, that's something really easy that any, any community, any community could do. I love that. That's awesome. Yeah. That's, I mean, and I know here in our community, this is before I lived here, there was um, a friend of mine, Sue Russell, who's been on this podcast and comes up often. Um, in support of her, people did teal flags, I think, all along the, um, the two-lane highway that goes through the valley in support of her. So, you know, it's really just think however you want to and think what works in your community um, is great. And, you know, a lot of times I think people are like, well, isn't this just a performative thing? But it gets the conversation going, and when we have conversation, it changes how people react. Like, it's just, it's that simple, is it's how do we get that conversation going. Exactly. So one question I'm sure you get asked a lot, does Start By Believing provide direct services? And what can, um, so if a survivor is looking to make a report, do you all do that? And um, then I'll follow up with what can a survivor do that are fearful of reporting? So Start By Believing does not provide any direct services and, and Violence Against Women International also do not provide any direct services. Um, EVA International, as I said, is a training organization. So we provide training programs, but we do not have any direct services for survivors. Now, if a survivor calls and needs some support, um, our staff will connect them with me because of my advocacy background. And I will generally work on providing some very, very, very limited crisis intervention and provide some referrals to local organizations that can help the survivor. And it's the same thing with Start By Believing. One thing that I, I, 
I should note though, is that when we create these conversations, you know, we've been sharing a lot of survivor stories through the Start By Believing campaign. That generally comes with disclosure. So 20 plus years as an advocate, I'm trained in crisis counseling. So I can help respond to some of those requests. But again, typically I refer survivors to a local crisis line, a local advocacy program for that type of support. Yes, absolutely. I just always feel like that's important to ask. And, you know, I mean, I feel like one, absolutely, like the more we tell our stories, the more people that disclose, like you and I both know that as trainers of when we speak, people are coming up to us afterwards and disclosing. It allows people to be like, oh, I'm not alone. And when we realize we're not alone, it's easier to connect and to disclose. But there are survivors that have a lot of fear in reporting, um, mistrust for law enforcement, um, immigration might be an issue, language barriers, all of these different things. So what would you say to survivors that are fearful of reporting, regardless of if the person is going to start by believing? Well, the first thing I want to say is I think that Unfortunately, for many survivors, that fear is very well justified. Um, you don't have to dig very far in media stories to see stories of survivors who haven't been believed. Um, over the past 18 months, I've been working on a Survivor Voices project where I've interviewed over 45 survivors and talked to them about their experiences of being believed and of not being believed. And way too many of them were not believed. So, you know, I just, I think we need to start with validation that that, that fear is very well justified for many of them. But if listening and they're thinking about their options and they're thinking about disclosing or they're thinking about reporting, my first recommendation for any survivor is always to contact your local crisis line. Start with an advocate. Advocates are trained to listen to you, to hear you, to support you, to provide validation. And they're also trying to talk about any options that you might be considering with you. An advocate is not going to tell you what to do, which is very different from the response a friend or family member might have. Mm -hmm. Friend, friends and family members tend to tell you what to do or what they think you should do. And an advocate's job is to stay neutral. Their job is to listen to you, help you weigh all of, of those options, and provide you information along the way. So anybody who's considering reporting, I always recommend you start with an advocate. Absolutely. That's something I always say as well is it's, you know, just even, you know, if you're considering reporting you, and you're in a place of trauma, like I just, you know, our brains aren't necessarily functioning the way they normally would. And so to have that advocate with you, to walk you through these things, to help you process, to just be your ears if you do decide to report is just invaluable. Um, take it from me who knows very well um, what a difference that makes. So um, what difference have you seen for victims and survivors when reporting to law enforcement who have taken the Start By Believing pledge? Or is that something, I don't know if you can weigh that or, or know that there's a difference, but yeah, just to speak to that. I don't know if I can speak to there being a difference specifically with law enforcement officers who have taken the pledge. But what I can tell you is that many of the survivors that I've met with, they could tell if they were believed. They could tell if law enforcement took their report seriously. And they could also tell if they did not take it seriously. And for the survivors who felt like they were heard, felt like they were taken seriously, 
and in some cases were directly told that they were believed, their healing outcomes, um, they had better access to advocacy services, better, better access to support services. They felt supported along the way. Uh, and one survivor that I've worked with has told me that being believed meant everything. And I know for you, Anna, you've said very clearly that being believed saved your life. Absolutely. I absolutely believe those two statements to be very, very true. Now, to talk about the flip side, when survivors were not believed, I've seen the consequences. I've seen the survivors who slide into um, making choices that they that I've met with. Her name is Chelsea. She reported immediately. She had a forensic exam when she was in the hospital waiting for her forensic exam. The nurse examiner asked her if she was going to file charges and Chelsea said, I'm not sure. And the nurse examiner told her, well, I don't wanna waste resources if you aren't gonna follow through. And then when she got to law enforcement, law enforcement didn't believe her, didn't take her case seriously, made a um, half attempt at presenting her case in front of a grand jury, it was dismissed. Well, Chelsea learned that she could present it on her own behalf and she did and it moved forward. Shortly afterwards, she was called by a prosecuting attorney who had just received training on Start by Believing and said, I believe you all stand by you. And it was the first time somebody outside of her parents and her you know, immediate support system had believed her and it made a tremendous difference for her. Absolutely, thank you for sharing that story, 100%. Um, yeah, I know within my own case, there was a time where I had to make a report to a different agency and I was just about laughed out of there. And the hopelessness and just despair and depression that came after that, because I just felt like this, there's no one that's going to help me. Like, mm -hmm. this is it. And um, yeah, so that importance of having, you know, prosecutors and law enforcement and sane nurses and everyone believing is, it's a difference of night and day. So thank you for sharing that story. Um, yeah. For people listening who might not be in the, the victim service field um, or art, like how can they start by believing when someone discloses to them that they've experienced some sort of gender-based violence? So we have three simple things to do when somebody discloses that they've been sexually abused. The first thing is, I'm sorry that happened to you. The second is, how can I help you? And the third is, I believe you. Now, I made a comment about friends and family members often try to force, motivate, encourage, whatever word you want to use, the survivor into doing what they think is best. Mm -hmm. And really, what we want to do is sit back. We want to listen. We want to validate. We want to give that survivor a space to say whatever it is they need to say. As friends and family members, we don't have any questions that we should ask other than how can I help you? We don't need to know the details of what happened to this person that we care about. We really don't. We might be curious, but it's not our job to ask them questions. If the survivor reports, they will be asked hundreds of questions by professionals that have to ask those questions. So as friends and family members, we should be one of the few responders that doesn't have any questions for them. We also don't need to ask any questions about what they were doing that led up to the sexual assault. These are why questions. Why were you 
wearing that? Why did you go out with him? Why did you go home with him? Why were you drinking? All of those questions reinforced to the survivor that it was their fault. So they're not helpful. So again, you listen, you provide validation, you ask them how you can help and you tell them that they, that you believe them. Yes. Snaps to that. Um, yes, it's very important. Um, yeah, it's, you know, I think just what you said again, like it's not a friend or family member's job to interview and it's not their job or place to say what the victim should be doing in that situation. I think in these situations where you're so powerless to be able to make any of your own choices is so important. And if you do report to have that believability is just that additional thing where you feel like you have a slightest bit of control in your voice and your decisions. And that's, it's huge. It changes everything. Yeah. Yes. So we've kind of already gone over what materials and resources can people can access. Um, <clears throat> but is there anything we kind of haven't covered that you'd like to share about the campaign? Well, I just want to reinforce again that it, the campaign is more than just a, a pledge. It's more than just a proclamation that your city that really we need to ingrain inside all of us. That whenever tells you someone tells you that they've been sexually assaulted, you start by believing them. Now, to anybody who's law enforcement, this does not mean believe without doing an investigation. That is not at all what we're saying. What we're saying is respond to every report and go into every investigation with an open mind that this person is telling the truth as opposed to the thought that this person is lying. Unfortunately, that is the response that way too many survivors have received is the automatic assumption that they're not telling the truth about what happened to them. So go into every report as though this report has merit do a full and thorough investigation and see where the evidence takes you. Absolutely. Yes, 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 yes. Thank you. Um, yeah, it's, it's, I liked when you said earlier, like it's a philosophy. It's not just a pledge. It's not just signing a piece of paper and holding up. It's a philosophy um, that you can take into, you know, raising your children, take into your friendships, your family, everything you do, your workplace, all of these things. Um, it really is a philosophy that, is so applicable to everything. Mm -hmm. um, so in closing, what would you like to see for this campaign moving forward? It's 11 years in, um, how would you like to see it continue to grow? What are your next plans with it? I wanna see hashtag start by believing go viral. Yes. <laughs> you know, every year we reach about five to six million people through social media um, that's just social media. So that doesn't include traditional media or I know there have been several podcasts about Start By Believing. It doesn't include community presentation. So I would truly love to see Start By Believing go viral. Um, I want everybody to know what it is and what it means. And honestly, the, the, the program has grown so much in 11 years. It, streams of, of how much it's grown. There's over 650 community campaigns across the United States. There's around 25 international campaigns. So, you know, my, my goal is just to see that continued growth every year. Absolutely. So everyone just start hashtagging, start by believing. Um, 
<laughs> just do it. Um, and let's make this go viral because I think it is such an important thing that truly will change the trajectory of countless people's lives. Um, so to learn more about Start By Believing campaign and take the pledge and start to implement that philosophy into your life, um, you can go to startbybelieving.org. Um, and as I said, I wish I could share with you today all the details of what we're going to be doing here in Vermont, but I will have that info for you soon. And I'm really excited to have really a day of um, action here in our state. And um, I can't wait to share that with you, Allison, when I get to meet you in person in a month. Um, at yeah, the conference. I can't wait to hear all about it. Yes. So um, I always like to close with a positive message. Um, is there kind of one parting thought that you would like our listeners to, to, to hear? I'm just going to go back to your words, honestly, that Start By Believing can save lives. And I think the more and more that we focus on believing survivors, the more, the better the health and healing outcomes can be. So we can, we can do a very simple thing to do the right thing. Yes, absolutely. I mean, it's, it really is amazing when you think about it, like doing something as simple as a hashtag could save someone's life, but it truly can. So, so yeah, once again, go to startbybelieving.org to learn more. Um, Allison, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, As always, if you have any questions about the show, I'd love to hear from you. You can email me at Anna at standupresources.com. I'm your host, Anna Nasset, and I look forward to sharing more with you every other week here on The Mend. Be well, be strong. Goodbye. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review or feedback. We love hearing new topic ideas from listeners and watchers as well. Thank you for listening to The Mend and be well.